Hello and welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Stephen Roblins. And this is Nate Baranowski. And this week, I begrudgingly reviewed with Nate the 2011 movie, The Three Musketeers. I captain the airship this episode and take us to Accent Corner and Romance Corner. I literally can't stand this movie and have lots of problems with both the script and the action and the CG. And I don't find many redeeming qualities to it. We talk about how, in an airship battle, you should attack another ship. And we bring back the top five, and we do our top five favorite Starbucks drinks on the episode. Not brought to you by Starbucks. All this and more at Movies on the Side. Nate, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little upset. You made me watch this movie. I'll be a little honest with you. <laughs> uh-huh. I was very excited for you to be upset after watching this movie. <laughs> I didn't know this movie existed. I'll be real. And you said, let's watch Three Musketeers. And I was thinking Man in the Iron Mask, which this is not that movie. Oh, no, no. Man in the Iron Mask is a much better movie. It is a much better movie. That one has Leonardo DiCaprio in it, among other people. There's also a Three Musketeers, I believe from the 90s, that includes Charlie Sheen. As a musketeer and Kiefer oh. Sutherland as a musketeer. Wait, whoa, 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 Kiefer Sutherland? Yep. And I Hold believe Tim Curry as the Cardinal. Hold on a second. Am I, is this a fever dream? Did I? Oh my goodness. 1993. You are correct. Yes. Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, Chris O'Donnell. Yep. Robin is in there. And Tim Curry is the Cardinal. Oh my goodness. Wait, Oliver Platt. <laughs> is Porthos. Who was in 2012. As the uh, antagonist. This is incredible, Nate. Why didn't we do this, Three Musketeers, Nate? Maybe maybe we will do it later. Maybe this is the, the teaser that we will eventually go back to the much better 1993, although still mediocre, movie that I grew up with. No, this is the 2011 one. Keith, Keith Southern looks insane in some of these pictures. But anyway, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. this is the 2011 version of The Three Musketeers. I asked you, why are we doing this movie? And you said, well, it's on Amazon Prime. This was a movie of convenience, Nate, I believe. It's not just a movie of convenience. It's a movie of baffling origins. Okay. This movie, unfortunately, takes up a lot of space in my brain, as the kids would say, rent-free. <laughs> Wait, so so you've seen this before I have. watching? I've seen this before now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew what it. I knew what I was subjecting you to. Oh my goodness! All right, well, let's do the Rotten Tomatoes real quick, and then okay. we jump into the movie. Do you have any idea what the Rotten Tomatoes are? No, I have no idea, but I have to guess, like no more than thirty. I would say twenty-eight. That was very close. It is a twenty-six oh, percent critic so score, thirty-nine by audience, which. <laughs> that audience score just makes me want to <laughs> forego any further Rotten Tomatoes on our podcast. But 26 slash 39 for Rotten Tomatoes. I actually took notes for this one, Stephen, because there's something about a bad movie that baffles me that really makes me want to make sure I don't miss anything while talking with you. I took notes for the first 15 minutes, uh-huh. and then I just got so mad. When James Corden appeared on screen, uh-huh. I might have uh-huh. flipped a table. I might have literally <laughs> flipped a table. I don't even have a coffee table, but I found one to flip. And it was it just made me so mad. Uh-huh. You're saying this lives in your head, quote, rent-free, end quote. When or where did you see it that it caused such an impression? Was this a plane? I believe I saw it in 2011 when this movie came out. You didn't see it in theaters, did you? I might have. Nate. I might have. Oh, my goodness. Go with me here for just a second. If you were to just kind of... Look at the poster. Yeah, sure. Which is, lives at the top of IMDb and see 
Okay. I know. I mean, I know Orlando Bloom. Yeah, Orlando Bloom is in this movie. Luke Evans is great. Mila Jovovich is in it. Right, right. Mads Mikkelsen is in it. That that was the one that threw me. Christoph Waltz is in it. Christoph Waltz. Yes, both him and Mads Mikkelsen. I was like, okay, there's good actors. Percy Jackson, the lightning thief, isn't... Uh, was that... Is he Percy Jackson? Yes, Percy Jackson is in it. <laughs> I saw those names and I, I had some hopes, at least in the first five minutes. But I also um, think, I, if I remember correctly, the trailer looked pretty good too this seems like a movie where you can make a trailer look good yes yes right as, right as long as you include zero to five percent of the dialogue in a trailer then yes i remember vividly that in the trailer for this i saw the milady character knee slide underneath a bunch of like spikes that were shooting out of the wall martial arts style through a hallway and i went yep this is the three musketeers for me because i grew up in the 1993 one steven quick question for you what's your three musketeers knowledge just in general other than man in the iron mask did you ever read the alexandra dumont uh no okay man in the iron mask is basically my reference point okay the beginning of this movie actually is not too far off from the book, which is, I'm going to spoil it for you. The middle to end of this movie is not anything like the book. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. This movie opens with a mission that the three musketeers are on. Mm -hmm. One musketeer comes from the canals in Venice, I think they're in. And at the beginning of this movie, we see a title card for each musketeer. Yep. And this is when I knew that the movie was taking a turn for the worse. It felt like a video game movie all of a sudden. And you're like, oh no. With every character that showed up on screen, there was like a literal 10 second like freeze frame of the character. Some texture appears on screen and we see the character name with it. And I said, oh, this is not good. This is not a good sign. But I said, okay, we'll go with it. They're doing a secret mission type stuff, which I'm cool with that. Porthos played by what's his name ray stevenson he has kind of a cool scene where he's like captured by the enemy and they think they got him and he shows his tremendous strength and escapes like it's an okay scene Mm -hmm. i beg your pardon you didn't catch me and what exactly are you doing here catching you but then they get into this, like, chamber. They're trying to recover some scroll for some reason. Mm-hmm. The motivations in this movie are very cloudy. I don't know yep, what's going yep, on. Yep, yep. And they're in this, like, little room, trapped. You know, the uh, the guards or whatever are about to come down these steps and capture them. Mm-hmm. And they do something that makes the canal flood. They set up a, an explosion. Yep. There's an explosion. In the room that they're in. Which I feel like would have killed them all. Like, I, yep. <laughs> Whitney saw at least part of this with me, and she was like, wouldn't they all die? Like, they just exploded something. Like, they couldn't go down the hallway. There were no, guards down there. They said they're going to hold their breath. Follow the water on up. And then the water CG of the water coming into this room is so atrocious. Like, the special effects are just very bad. Okay, Steven, I need to stop you here. You are going so granular right now, because I know you took a bunch of notes at the beginning of this movie, but if this is the pace at which we go through this movie, we will be here all day. No, 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 no. We, we need to not, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Let us not talk about that. Nate, because this lives in your head rent-free, hopefully not mine for the rest of my life. Let me, let me captain the airship for a second, Stephen. No. Mm-hmm. I will go down my bigger bullet point notes from the movie, and I want to get your thoughts. Okay. This movie has a lot of... And I repeat, a lot 
of wigs. <laughs> Tell me about the wigs you saw in this movie, Stephen, and what did you think about their quality? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the the wigs I feel like are the most forgivable thing in this movie because I was so appalled at the acting and the plot and James Corden that I just could not. I didn't even pay attention to the wigs. I'll be honest. I think the wig on James Corden is rough. I also think the wig on D'Artagnan, the main character, does not seem to be human hair. It's like horse hair? It is made of some sort of shrew. There is something uncanny valley about his hair. Yeah, that that one, I will agree. That one seemed atrocious at times. And I was almost afraid it was going to slide off his head in some of the action scenes. It sort of moved in strange ways as the breeze blew past it at times. Like, they wanted to put some wind on it to give it some life. Because otherwise it sort of hung like the dead muskrat it was. (laughs) But then, I think they also were like, listen, we can't blow it too hard. It's barely on his head. Some double-sided tape. That's all holding it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay. So that's wigs. Okay, next next bullet point. Yeah. Romance corner. We have D'Artagnan and Constance, the handmaiden, what is it called? Lady-in-waiting to the queen. <laughs> right, right. This is the main, quote-unquote, I say in quotes, main romance of this movie. She is Carolyn Penvenon. From Poldark. You've seen Poldark. I've seen some of Poldark. It just got so sad. I've seen some of Pol- Poldark. <laughs> She's it. the one who ends up with uh, Dr. Ennis. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've seen her in that, so I know that she can act. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But this is 2011, so something must have happened between now and then. But any, anyway, what do you think about the romance between the two leading characters? Young, beautiful characters. You must come from a very small town. How did you know? Lines like yours might actually work there. This is Paris. In the Battle of Wits, you, sir, are unarmed. Yawn. I just didn't care. I didn't care about it. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, he first sees her in the middle of a fight scene Uh in the town square. Yep. And it's it's like, oh, this is a pretty person. Uh Uh-huh. And then, I mean, there's not really any development of their relationship after that. Right. Right? They don't know each other's personalities other than, like, he's kind of boisterous, and then he wants to save her, right? And she's disinterested at first, anyway. And beautiful. Yeah, and towards the end, he makes really dumb decisions based on wanting to save her that I don't believe he cares that much about her, because he doesn't know her. Right. Do we have to worry about spoilers for this movie? I think we don't. No, no. We we don't do spoilers, because nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens in this movie. No, there's a lot that occurs on screen but i will i translate that as to nothing happening okay that's my opinion nate there was can we talk about the script for a second no no we have to finish this corner first oh oh sorry okay oh, i didn't realize we were still in the corner i'm i'm captaining this airship this is the first time i felt like a corner is disciplinary like i feel like the, like this is <laughs> these corners <laughs> i have a dunce cap yeah, yeah it's yeah. basically you okay. have to exactly keep this hat on and stay in this corner yes okay but i have one other part of romance corner Okay. I actually kind of liked the king and queen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like they actually knew each other, and I kind of rooted for them to like be together at the end. Cause, because yeah. they are, quote-unquote, married, but they have really no relationship. But he actually really likes her and stuff. I found that sweet and charming. What do you think? I agree with you there. The king I found insufferable many times. And I understand that was the character. Right. That was the character. I get it. He, what is it? Louis the 14th? Louis the 15th? One of them? One of the, yeah, someone. One of the Louis. So I get he was doing a character. So that's fine. But yeah, I, I thought that was believable. And 
the ending was nice when they actually like danced together and there's like the orchestra playing. Uh-huh. Would your majesty care to dance? I would love to. One more romance. This is, is a Athos and Milady, where we see it for approximately two minutes that he maybe loves her, maybe doesn't, and she betrays him. In the like before the first title card. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I cared not for Milady at all. Uh-huh. Like it was a shoehorning, I feel like, of a character mm-hmm. into this movie. Mm-hmm. Like obviously this character is in Three Musketeers. I understand like there's history or whatever. Yes. But this character was made for like attraction appeal for viewers and then like made to I, I guess be like some kind of super secret agent. She's meant to be like the Irene Adler to Sherlock, you know, like the Right. I yeah. I said in my notes, she is like Harley Quinn before Harley Quinn became popular. But she's like not crazy enough to be Harley Quinn and she's not like believable enough. Like there's a fight scene with her on a roof where she's like beating up eight guards. Absolutely stabbing dudes. Yep. Yeah. And it's all slow-mo. And uh-huh. you see every sword wave like a rubber pencil, like uh-huh. everyone did in elementary school. <laughs> yeah. And like there's so many fly wire, like sh- jumping around and floating through the air. We're going to get to the choreography in a second, but yes. And I was like, I understand this movie is trying to be cool uh-huh. and a little with the kids. Uh-huh. And like the, they're trying to make these fight scenes like epic. Yep. But I was, I just. I don't know. I just started looking at my phone and a lot of these fight scenes. Because I was like, um, the only redeeming quality would be action in this movie after a certain point. And then even the action scenes are like, meh. Please try and understand that this isn't personal. It's strictly business. He made me a better offer. I actually kind of liked her character. She does seem like she was brought in and only was going to play a small role in it and then they were like so they had mila jovovich from fifth element resident evil is Mm -hmm. her big thing and i think maybe they were like well she's maybe the most charismatic person as far as an actor going on in this movie so her role was kind of extended through this movie it felt like but then summarily ended at some point in time because maybe they couldn't pay for mila anymore right but i kind of thought her character was interesting i just wanted there to be more to it it was sort of a hollow facsimile of a that's a word double agent betrayal temptress woman yeah but then it didn't quite land all the way does that make sense? I totally agree. And I would say that it is not the actor's fault in general in this movie. How bad they look on screen. It's not their fault. Like, again, <laughs> Orlando Bloom, you know, he just did, he came off Lord of the Rings after, you know, before doing this and Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. You know, Orlando Bloom's good, but in this movie, he's just meh. And like, bad. you don't like him. He's bad. Yeah, he's bad. He's bad, but I don't, it can't be his fault. There can't be this many good actors in a movie like Mads Mikkelsen, and it'd be this bad and it'd be the actor's fault. That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, let's go to script next, because that makes the most sense as to why these good actors had to say bad things in the most robotic, not flowy script I've seen in a while. I'm not even sure if it's the script's fault or just the pacing of you say your line, pause, you say your line, pause, you say your life. Yeah, it felt like we were seeing all these actors' like high school theater class where they were just learning how to do it. There's one line. 
I wrote down one line. Good, good. It's towards the, towards the beginning. I believe Pathos says it. I don't know who says it. But the person says... Uh, Pathos isn't anybody in this movie, so it's either Athos or Porthos. You, you get to choose. <laughs> it's one of them. They say, fight, love, live, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think those were the words actually used. <laughs> and I got so mad in that moment because they literally just took the live laugh love yep eat pray love like they took the the thing that's in 80 percent of people's homes right you know hanging somewhere and they used it as a line in this movie and they just changed one word to fight yep. instead of yep. laugh and i i got so mad and i i said i don't think i could do this i actually stopped watching the movie at that point and i had to wait like a week i had to, I had right. to finish it a week and now later. you're back okay well here's a line that i remembered from the end of the movie when uh d'artagnan and constance are talking this is like their big like before they kiss at the end enjoying the show are you always this cocky? Only on Tuesdays. And when every beautiful women are involved. So, you think I'm beautiful? Actually, it's Tuesday. And they kiss. And I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. I had to search in the quotes for that because I wasn't quite sure what he was saying. Like, no, you're actually not beautiful? No. That's a terrible... It's just <sighs> a, logic, a logic puzzle they leave us with. Here's a theory for me. I feel like trying to have this young actor play D'Artagnan was a mistake. I feel like because he was there and the movie kind of revolved around him and his motivations and, you know, him getting mad at Mads Mikkelsen for insulting his horse, mm-hmm. which seems like a dumb premise. I feel like so much had to revolve around him that it threw off the rest of the movie. Like, I feel like this movie would have been better. He is the main character in the book. I mean, like, he is the guy who goes to join the Musketeers. He's supposed to be like the, I left my father, I'm going off to pursue. Like He's sort of the hot-headed guy. Now, do I picture him a little bit older? Yeah. Right. It, it's some, some, it felt a little strange because I felt like he was 15 and they were 45. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were very much older. I feel like they should have had Matthew McFadden, who played Athos. I think he should have been D'Artagnan and get someone else to play Athos and let those just be the main characters and let them go through the movie like that. Sure. Because I feel like this young guy... You know, no offense to him, but like trying to make this really young musketeer work with these three old dudes, uh-huh. like, I don't know, it just seemed weird. I had a hard time liking any of the musketeers in this movie. Right. Maybe yes. like Athos, nah. Porthos was kind of fun. I thought Luke Evans was probably the most convincing as Aramis, as the most like, okay, you're not just wearing a costume and a wig. You actually seem to be like embodying the character. D'Artagnan, I did not find him very likable in this movie. He's supposed to be very winsome and very like, oh yeah, I'm rooting for him to like save the girl and and fight the, the Cardinals men and Mads Mikkelsen. But I didn't much like him. No. Accent Corner is next. Do you remember any thinking anything about the accents in this movie? We are in France, by the way. It took, it took me multiple times watching the movie to remember where we were. Most of the time, I feel like I didn't hear accents. Uh-huh. And if I did... I didn't know what kind of accent it was, so I was <laughs> I dismissed that entirely from my mind. It is I always find it interesting where it's like do kind of a Britishy, but then I think D'Artagnan was kind of just American in his accent. Oh yeah, he was just he was Zac Efron. I mean, he was just American. Patience is not one of my virtues, and I wasn't quite sure what Christoph Waltz was doing. A piece of the Queen's jewelry given to Buckingham as a token of affection. Uh, the, the King had sort of. Louis had maybe kind of a British accent. Can't have my musketeers, all the son of one, looking like tramps. 
no one decided, hey, we're in France. Let me make it sound like I'm a French person speaking English. Nope. Louis, I guess Louis the King had the closest to a French accent, maybe? Oh, I don't know. Mads Mikkelsen was also trying to do a voice. Was he? He was doing some, he was affecting his voice somehow. <laughs> I don't exactly know what he was doing. Unknown. Well, I'm afraid I'm not in the habit of apologizing to Gascon Jungles. I think he was given the worst lines in this movie, and he had to like dramatically say them and then walk off set, you know, walk off the scene. And it is, I felt bad for Mads Mikkelsen. He was given such a dopey, dopey role. Yeah, I agree. One thing that did bother me, though, so the Cardinal, Christoph Waltz, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I wish he would have been more, I don't know if conniving is the right word. I wish he would have been more threatening. Villainous? Yeah, more villainous. Like, I know he was double-crossing people and being evil, but then at the end of the movie, like, I think he still has his job. Like, he doesn't get thrown into prison somewhere. Like he's just like I'll get you next time, gadget. Yeah, <laughs> like the musketeers like give him a dirty look as they walk away. But Christoph Waltz like unimpeded, I think. Like his he still has his job uh, at the palace. So like I don't understand how that happened. Orlando Bloom wasn't threatening at all. Now Orlando Bloom's performance was to me was the most cringeworthy. He was doing something, and he was just listen to this, listeners, for a second. Listen to Orlando Bloom maybe doing something with his voice or maybe just being like, I'm going to play this like a real goofy bad guy. Look at what the cat dragged in. So how's the old Athos, eh? Still his surly insufferable self, I'm sure. That was Exhibit A. Thank you. (laughs) One other thing, too, that just made me furious was the Cardinal, Christoph Waltz, is playing chess with Uh King Louis. Uh-huh. And there's a point where the someone gets in check, and then the other person castles. Uh-huh. And then I flipped a second table, because you can't castle when you're you in check. You can't castle while I'm in check. And I said, what kind of movie would get something like that wrong? The king is the most important piece, but he's vulnerable. He needs protection. May I suggest you castle him? I'm, I'm going to jump right to the end, and then we can go back and talk about other stuff. But yep. Orlando Bloom, this movie ends with Orlando Bloom at the helm of a ship... And then the camera zooms out and we see like hundreds of ships on water and airships. Yes. Like this massive army. And I'm like, all right, well, what are we going to do here? And then the credits roll. That's how this movie ends. Okay. 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 Um, So he (laughs) he pulls the lady out, the lady. Did I say the lady? Yeah, you said the lady. You meant milady, yeah. He pulls milady out of the channel. She wouldn't have survived that fall, by the way. I'm just saying. No, no, not one bit. He should have just said, like, we brought you back to life with magic or (laughs) something. That would have been make more (laughs) sense. (laughs) Yes. This movie, which cost $75 million to make, had $8 million made back on it an opening weekend and like <laughs> domestically made like a third of what it cost to make now internationally people gobbled it up like it still made cumulative 132 million so everyone was fine after this movie but a real flop in america i can't believe they got to the end of this movie after making it and said we are confident that we are going to get a sequel to this with all of the, we are confident that all of these main actors, real life actors, will be like, yeah, I'll sign up for movie number two. <laughs> this is great. The 
temerity, the unmitigated gall <laughs> of thinking that you would get a sequel and leaving us with a really cool, huge amount of ships and not showing us a giant battle with airships. And here is the travesty, because the whole middle part of this movie, I think I blacked out. I, you know, I saw clips here and there. But when we get to the ending fight scene, we have these two airships fighting. Mm -hmm. very unclear exactly what's happening and why these diamonds like why are these hundreds of people risking their lives on these airships for some diamonds i i don't know because if the diamonds are not returned to the queen then the king will think that she's having an affair with the duke of buckingham aka orlando bloom and then they will go oh, to war doesn't matter because uh, at the end okay. of the show that they're going to go to war anyway i see okay they have to get the necklace back to her to show that the cardinal's plan did not work right i don't know why they couldn't just tell the king the cardinal's been plotting against you here's the plan he did right we weren't able to get the necklace back but we can tell you that right this is all what happened here's some more evidence here's a blown up airship to show you and and the king louis believed the musketeers most of the time like there was a scene earlier right. where like they brought him in for reprimand and the cardinal thought they were all going to get like hung and the king was like get them new clothes i thought that was a pretty good scene by the way i thought it was an okay scene but it showed like the king obviously liked the musketeers and trusted them like yeah they should if all three of them were yes. or four of them were like hey by the way this happened i have two last things to talk about yeah number one the airship battle at the end yeah that's exactly that's exactly what i was gonna say perfect the only cool part sorry <laughs> I just it is somewhat cool and then other times it's like it seemed like clips of exploding wood were kind of just laid over top of a bunch of actors on the green screen or on a, a, a ship soundstage just kind of going off and being like this is action you're watching action but man that was roughly edited it was as I was thinking about it, visually, it's cool. You got two airships doing an air battle. Like, on yep. the face of it, it's cool. Oh, absolutely. There's also this one, like, circle cannon that we see one of the musketeers firing. Like, it basically, like, these cannons just, like, rotate in a yes. circle and they just keep firing. Like, that looked cool. And the fire and the dragon-breathing fire one was also cool. That was cool. But as I thought about ships, usually they're in the water. Mm -hmm. And when they get hit by cannonballs, the danger... <laughs> Is that there will be holes made in the ship for water to enter, yep. and the sink yep. the ship will sink. Yep. These ships are in the air. Yep. And, and technically, you could have a single plank of wood attached to the balloon and yeah. still be floating. Yes. So as I was watching the action scene, I was like, "Shoot the balloon! Shoot oh, the that. glass!" <laughs> exactly. I was like, "This is supposed to communicate that they are all in danger," but I'm like, "They could make Swiss cheese out of the bottom part of the ship, and it wouldn't matter." Like, it's still going to float. Exactly. And it's still, like, going. But, yeah, then eventually they actually aim for the balloons, and I'm like, okay. Why didn't they aim for the balloons at the be I mean, I'm thinking to myself, while, while the bad guys are peppering the ship of the good guys, and there is wood splinters blown all over the camera, but all the characters mostly just dive down and everyone's fine. No one is hurt. No one gets a scratch on them from the flying wood. I had the same thought, like... Well, so what? Now you have, you're not in any more of a danger than you were before. Apparently, all the weapons that you really wanted to use, you could use later when they came at them from above. How sneaky. <laughs> but yeah, I did think, right. like, just shoot the balloon and they're done for. It's either explosive or it's. Yeah. It'll go down. And eventually, we see Notre Dame, I believe. Oh, man. And the, you know, the airship gets 
stabbed by the uh, steeple of of Notre Dame. Kind of, I actually kind of found that fun. I'll be honest. That was actually pretty cool. Yeah, skewered it. When I saw it. Notre Dame, I was like, "All right, here's the climax. It's about to crash on Notre Dame." I'll give you points for that. Let's talk about special effects because this leads perfectly into it. This movie, The Three Musketeers from 2011, is so, when storyboarded, was so ambitious with all of the effects that they wanted to put in it. From, like, we have these razor wires that she has to kind of laser dance her way through to an airship battle you crash down on distant france to doing a sword fight on top of notre dame all of this feels really ambitious and no one apparently stopped and told paul anderson hey uh paul we'd we we're i don't think we're going to be able to do this this is <laughs> this is too much for our budget you need the voice of reason because if we're going to do this we're going to have kind of a PlayStation 2 level France <laughs> that you're going to crash into. And these airships are going to be mostly CG. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do that. This is everyone going, yep, absolutely. We can do all of this. And it ends up with a lot of, pains me to say because I love VFX, a lot of janky VFX shots <laughs> in this movie. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Again, the airships were the coolest part. And, like, sometimes they look okay. Like, when they were just up in the clouds, it's fine. But Mm -hmm. as soon as you try to bring it down to, like, real life and you try to have, (laughs) Uh like, a battle on Notre Dame. It crash into the lawn of Versailles. Yeah, like, it gets pretty rough. And also, speaking of battles, this is not a special effects thing, but the climax of this movie is D'Artagnan and the Mads Mikkelsen character fighting on the roof. Yes, with swords. With swords, this fight made me so angry because there were there were so many moments where I didn't believe the characters would have done what they did. Like the the fight starts with D'Artagnan sword to the chest of Mads Mikkelsen. Uh-huh. And Mads Mikkelsen doesn't even have his hand on his sword. He's holding the diamonds. And D'Artagnan leaves enough time for Mads Mikkelsen to put the diamonds carefully in his belt and just stares at him the whole time. I said, Right. You could have stabbed him right there. And I understand he's wanting to do a fair fight. If you have a point of the sword at someone's chest, you should take your other hand and sort of hammer in the sword. <laughs> you should be <laughs> yeah. getting that like, into them very quickly. He could have stabbed him before Mads Mikkelsen ever took a sword out. So that was one part. And then Mads Mikkelsen like, gets the upper hand. D'Artagnan like, slides down the roof of Notre Dame like, far away. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then Mads Mikkelsen goes, like, walks all the way down yep. to continue fighting with him. I did not yep. believe that would happen. Like, Mads Mikkelsen, he doesn't have anything to prove to this kid. If the kid falls down the roof and, like, a, like hanging off a gargoyle or whatever, right. I feel like Mads Mikkelsen would just escape with the diamonds. He wouldn't go down there and fight right. him. He wouldn't, so anyway, I didn't, he wouldn't I didn't care one bit. Right. Because they're supposed to be like, we're mortal enemies. We are Mario and Bowser, which is my, what the first example that came to my mind was mortal enemy. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the mortal enemy. Okay, very good. Yeah. But I think it was meant to be like, they look at each other with great anger. But I think for the most part, I felt like Mads Mikkelsen looked at him with his one eye and was, oh, well, you're, you're an annoying kid. And like, right. it meant more to D'Artagnan than it did to Mads Mikkelsen. But their fight scene, this is kind of how it is for a lot of the choreography. It's like, we think this is cool. Yeah. And every once in a while, there's like a shot that's like, oh, that's a fun sword maneuver. Felt like the fight choreography wasn't done by someone who knew how these weapons should be handled 
or used. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm okay kind of like breaking the mold and going sort of. But I think in order to break the mold, you have to like know the mold that you're breaking. Mm, that's deep. And I felt like in a lot of this movie, it was like, well, it would look really cool if the gun did this or if the sword did this. And at the end, it was like, this doesn't look, this looks sloppy. This is a lot of sloppy choreography. Like we did a little ad lib here. <laughs> yeah. And you get, you with the airships, you have leeway because those are make-believe things. Right. You know, you can have those do however you want it to do. But a sword fight, you know, we as movie watchers have seen lots of sword fights. They were swinging them around and I was like, I don't know much about swords, but you guys don't seem to be handling the swords like sword experts. I almost could like picture the rehearsals and like the choreographer, like as they were rehearsing the scene and the, and the, the sword specialist being like, well, cut, you know, <laughs> hold on, oh, wait, 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 that swords don't do that. Like you can't, we can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that. You look like a Muppet trying to sword fight. Like we need to stop this. (laughs) Muppet sword fighting. Now, hold on a second. (laughs) No, that's an idea. That's an idea. Okay. Let's rate this movie. Okay. On a scale of the only thing good in this movie, zero to five airships. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. This movie gets one and a half airships. Now one airship and one just regular ship. I think half of an airship is either a hot air balloon, is either a balloon <laughs> a or a ship. Balloon. Yeah, we'll say a it's a ship. It's a ship with a bunch of holes in it, like this plot. Mm. I'm going to give you my final my final blurb here. This movie could have been more campy and could have really winked at us, like we aren't taking this too seriously. But it's not campy enough. This movie could have gone steampunk Ooh. and could have gone more like gadgety. Weaponing, good. Yes. that sort of thing. And they started doing that, but not enough. Right. This movie could have got super cool martial arts and sword fights and perfectly precise choreography, but it didn't go there enough. Mm. This movie could have had really great, grand settings and scene. It could have really whisked us away into this world, but it didn't go there enough. Mm. It could have used... These great actors Are you preaching right now? and had them deliver awesome lines, but it doesn't have them do it <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, in conclusion, I think this movie lives in my mind rent-free because it has some very fun ingredients. I would love to see, I would actually wouldn't mind seeing all these actors back, and I'd say, give them $75 million back, go back in time, do it again and do it better. Because if this movie was an awesome action, sort of goofy, play on Three Musketeers, but not historically accurate, with awesome airship battles, and comical comic book villains, and secret passages and doors, and that that was all it was, it would be a popcorn munching flick that I would actually enjoy, even if the plot was just as incoherent. But it's not, therefore it's disappointing, therefore it's one and a half airships. Thank you. Man, I enjoyed that TED Talk. You, you were going there for a second. Thank you. I mean, I, I felt it. I used some of my elements of eloquence from the book you gave me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was very good. I thought you were going to take up an offer. <laughs> I will say the steampunk angle... If they would have really leaned heavy into the steampunk, I would have liked it a little mm-hmm. bit better. That would have been fun. It did sort of at the beginning when the guy came out of the water with his like steampunk scuba diver outfit. If the cheesy title cards didn't show up, yeah, it would have actually been all right. But anyway, I'm going to give this movie one airship. I do not necessarily recommend people watch this. It's unless free. they root. If you have Amazon I mean, if Prime, you have, it's yeah, free. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free. But I feel like even free, there's better options on there. I feel like 
paycheck with Ben Affleck. It's true. <laughs> maybe maybe a better option. So I don't know if people should see this. I never want to see this again. I evicted it. It's not living in my head rent-free. I'd say that. And I, I really hope I don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it someday. But it's not a good movie. I don't know if we'll ever have a zero or a 0. 0.5 movie, so I want to reserve those. Because, again, airship battle, somewhat redeeming, and this has good actors in it, even though that was misused. But I'm going to give it one airship my official review is meh. <laughs> Perfect. All right, listeners, we brought back the top five just for you on today's episode, and we're doing the top five Starbucks drinks. This has nothing to do with Three Musketeers. This is just, uh, I don't know, an idea I had. Steven just texted me, let's do top five Starbucks drinks. And I said, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming, Steven, this is brought to our listeners by Starbucks. They're paying us for this, right? I would love for them to retroactively sponsor this episode. I'll reach out. I'll try to reach out. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Uh, but Nate, do you have any honorable mentions for Starbucks drinks? No, I don't, Stephen, because I'm somewhat thrown off by this whole section. So I'm just giving you my base level of effort. <laughs> that is exactly five. Okay. Well, my honorable mention, as we talked about teas in the bonus episode, which you can listen to at patreon.com slash movies on the side, I talked about a London fog. Which, if you ask for a London Fog tea at Starbucks, they'll know what you're talking about. And that's my honorable mention, a London Fog. Okay, wonderful. So go ahead, give me your number five. My number five is the chai tea latte at Starbucks. I don't often do teas from Starbucks because I don't know what they offer and I'm afraid of ordering something that's not on the menu <laughs> and being laughed at. But I do know the chai tea latte is there. It's spicy. It is milky. It is delicious. Mm, very good. My number five is the straight-up vanilla latte. It is consistent. It is a good fallback if you're really not sure what to get. And uh, it's a little fun. So the vanilla latte. My number four is just plain old coffee. Now, you may ask, what kind of coffee? What kind of roast? What kind of bean? What kind of flavoring? The answer is, I don't know. Because I don't know that much about coffee. Sometimes I just say, I don't want to spend $6. I want to spend $2.50 and I'll just have coffee and then I will stand over there by where they put the trash can <laughs> and I will just hang out with the sugar in the raw packets <laughs> and the half and half that's been sitting in that thing for a couple days and I will turn it into my own <laughs> concoction life hack latte <laughs> <laughs> okay very good. A latte is espresso. It's not coffee. But anyway, we won't, we won't get into specifics. Okay. Cafe au lait. Yep. All right. My number four, this is going to be a spin on what you said, the pumpkin chai. Now, when it comes fall time, everybody's all pumpkin spice latte. And those are fine. Those can be fun. But let me tell you, you can actually mix the pumpkin spice with a chai latte. And my wife and I used to know the exact number of pumps for each flavoring to make it a perfect drink. Wait a minute. Know the pumps... So you're talking to the barista at Starbucks and you're saying, uh, just uh, one and a half pumps. And, uh, no, too many. Start over. Start over. Well, you tell you order with the pumps. Oh, you say how many pumps? And they, they will put the number of pumps. Absolutely, you can do that. We were like four pumps, pumpkin spice, three pumps, chai. And they know exactly what they're doing. 
You can you can order that way. Well, they know exactly what they're doing, meaning they can count to three and four. <laughs> Listen, there's other skills that go into making that, but it was just the perfect ratio of sweetness and spiciness, chai Got and it. pumpkin. Okay. And it was okay. a delicious drink. So that is our custom concoction, number four, the pumpkin spice chai. I'm starting to think that you had us do this top five because you wanted to brag about all of the alchemy you've done over the years at Starbucks <laughs> to create your own personalized drink. Should I have just given you five? Five minutes to talk about all of your drink recommendations of the the wizardry no, no, you've done no, no, with no. Starbucks. That's, that's the most concoctiony that I'm going to get, except for my okay. number one pick. Oh well, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little, it it's a little concoctiony, not a lot, but anyway. My number three, I'm going with the nitro cold brew. Here's why I order the nitro cold brew because it has a really cool tap. It's like ordering a beer at a pub, <laughs> but it's at eight a.m. and you're ordering a nitro cold brew at an airport Starbucks, and they pull that thing, that little tap handle, which I wish I could have some tap handles in my house if it didn't say something about me that I didn't want it to say because if you have tap handles in your house, you might be too into beer. But I am into nitro cold brew, so here we are. Late, I'm going to tell you. I don't know if you know this, but my birthday is coming up, and I might be getting a... Nitro cold brew tap, a keg underneath your counter... Yes. What are you getting? Yeah, something like for real. Something like that. They actually have. It's called a U keg, U K E G, and it brews cold brew. And you can put CO two cartridges in this, and it has a little tap thing. Oh my! And goodness. you can do nitro cold brew. You're at becoming. Home. You're becoming the cold brew. <laughs> I'm becoming the cold brew villain. Uh, but I, we'll talk about that if I ever get it. That'll be on our bonus episodes. Well, I'm very excited about yeah, that. Patreon.com slash movies on the side if you want to hear about that someday. Okay. This feels very much like a Patreon conversation. If you're liking this right now, that's right. you should donate. Donate? What did we say? Support. Support the show. Just say support the show. You should give show. us money and you can hear more like this. If you don't and you're like, well, I'm glad I only listen to them talk about movies. That's right. Then yeah, just keep listening. It's fine. <laughs> just keep listening. All right. My number it's three. Free. Yes. My number three is the caramel macchiato. Now, these, these bottom three drinks that I just said, the vanilla latte, the pumpkin chai, and the caramel macchiato, these are very sugary drinks, and mm -hmm. I don't get them often, mm -hmm. but I fondly remember their taste, and if there's ever a day that I just want to go all out, I would get one of these, and the caramel macchiato is, is one of my favorites in that regard. Is that how you pronounce that word when you order it from the barista, the very first word with the C? I'd like a caramel macchiato, Yes. That's what you say? What? What? How do you say? Uh, my Midwestiness, I would say. I'll take a caramel macchiato. Caramel macchiato. Okay, caramel would be spelled C-A-R-M-E-L. Is that how you spell that no. word? No. No. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. Exactly. That's not how you spell that word. I'm glad this part of the podcast is for all listeners so they can hear your caramel <laughs> buffoonery. Okay, what's your number two? My number two is the vanilla latte. Straight down the middle every once in a while. I'll have them put a little oat milk instead of regular milk if I'm feeling a little bit, uh, wanting a little more tooth in my drink. <laughs> but a straight vanilla latte, it's a little sweet for me these days. That's I've right. kind of mellowed on my desire for sweetness, but it's still very good and it's still a staple. Number two. My number two was an earlier pick for you, the nitro cold brew. Mm -hmm. I will have lots and lots of cold brew and have had lots of cold brew in my life. And the nitro one from Starbucks is fun. And so I will... That's my number two. Nitro cold brew. I also like ordering and saying the word nitro. That's right. In it's a cool drink. Word. It's a good word. It's a very cool word. The nitro musketeers. Now that's what they should have called it. What's your number one? <laughs> my number one is the vanilla sweet cream cold brew. Whoa. Okay. Now, cold brew is great. Cold brew plus I could do Irish 
cream as well. But the vanilla sweet cream, I really enjoy how the cream gets poured on top and slowly percolates its way down through the cold brew and I can kind of mix it up. Yes. It is very, very good. It is what I get 80% of the time. I order Starbucks as long as the temperature outside is above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Vanilla sweet cream cold brew is my drink. It costs about $6. I'll beat you on my number one for cost, though. All right, so was that it? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I guess that was it. Okay. I mean, that's all I have for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's all right. You want more? No, no, no. Here's Here's my number one. This can be both simple and complicated. I make it complicated. The Stephen Robles way. Simple, yet complicated. (laughs) I'll explain my complications in a moment, but my number one is the flat white. I was actually listening to our Knives Out episode that came out a while ago because listeners, Trent and Tori, they were looking for a review of Knives Out and they were like, you guys should really review that movie. And I said, you're in luck because we already have. And uh, I'll just say our review holds up. I think the episode was good. But at the end... We talked about our favorite airports, and I talked about coffee that I had at London Heathrow, and that is actually where I had a flat white for the first time. So a flat white is whole milk and three shots of espresso. That's how you get it if you just order it straight. Okay. Now for me, I get a quad, so I get four shots of espresso. If I'm feeling extra fancy, I do actually prefer the taste if you ask for the blonde espresso from Starbucks. They have two kinds of espresso, if you didn't know. Do you ever have more than four shots of espresso? I've never done more than four. I've never never done more than four. So when I order it in the most complicated fashion, and you can get this iced or hot, in the most complicated version, I will order a grande iced quad blonde flat white with three Stevie. And that is my... Number one drink. I really enjoy how that. While you said that, a shiver went down my spine. Why? I I don't know. I'm going to have to look into my own psyche a little further to figure out why. But you said all of those words in a row. And I think due to me being a barista at some point in time in my life, not not at Starbucks, there's part of me that goes, I know everything about you I need to know right now. Listen. But that actually does sound really, really good. I'll be honest. It is good. And like, I don't like ordering it complicated. And, you know, then there's like, if you're in a drive through, there's like the added complication of the speaker not hearing you correctly. And they say, like, sure. Oh, what did you say? What? So it's not great, but it is actually a very good drink. It has a good amount of caffeine. Is it an $8 drink? It's like almost $7 because the, <laughs> the extra shot of espresso. It gets costly. I'll just say that. And then as soon as you order it, you take your scarf and you swing it around your neck jauntily. You tip your fedora to them and you say, I said good day. (laughs) And on that note. Listeners, if you want to support the show and hear more content like this, you can go where, Stephen? Patreon.com slash movies on the side. Support the show with any amount per month. and You get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. And today we talked about what type of drink you would want in your car if it was installed for you and a bunch of other stuff. We talked about tea. Apparently it's a very drink-heavy episode because we are very thirsty this morning. (laughs) Yes, that is right. Tell us what you thought about the movie about the top five or what top fives you would like to hear on future shows if you'd like us to continue doing them comment on our instagram at movies on the side that's the best place to get a hold of us and if you haven't yet we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review in apple podcasts and as we always say your majesty love the outfit very retro we were all wearing these in london when was it <laughs> last year or the year before